Welcome, travelers, one and all. Well over two years ago, I had an idea. What if I turned adventure ideas and the rules from the game Dungeons and Dragons into stories? I had never really written before, and I had limited experience narrating, but I thought it was something I could do, so I set myself a goal of 12 episodes, not quite sure if I could do it. Now, after all that time has passed, there are 98 episodes, many, many small stories that make one larger story, and they all come to an end here. So I just wanted to start by thanking each and every one of you that have listened to even a single episode. It really has been an amazing and wild journey. And now I will say for one final time, welcome adventurers. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon. Well equipped, stern, and scarred, it didn't take more than a brief once-over to tell this was a group of killers the way they wore their armor, or lack thereof, the way they moved, economy, motion, their eyes always watching. Snare had never felt more like prey in all of his years, so when an invitation to breakfast was extended, instead of questions aided by violence, or at least the threat of such, Snare was honestly taken off guard. He didn't trust them, of course, and the niceties could just be a precursor to less pleasant things, but it wasn't as if he could just walk away. The tall woman still stood with her hand extended toward the fire. At last he nodded in acceptance. The sense he would be killed at a moment's notice slipped away. The shorter one, the one who had had their back turned to him, turned out to be a young woman. A blade she had in her hand just vanished into thin air. Magic. Great. Snare heard the creak of the bow behind him as the dwarf who had found him finally took the arrow off the string. The half-orc woman, who wore no armor and had but one eye, slipped the two axes she held into loops on her belt. In her face, there was a look of disappointment. She was disappointed she didn't get to split something open. Snare swallowed as he looked away from her and back to the rest. The pile of blankets did in fact turn out to be one last person a young halfling woman with stunning red hair. A look of confusion registered plainly on her face as she looked their way. What's going on? She asked in a sleepy voice as she approached. 
all the while keeping him locked in her line of sight, lips tight with suspicion. The woman in plate armor said in a casual tone, We are sharing our breakfast with a traveler from the woods, and then turning to look at him again, with an expectant look. He was waiting for his name. Snare frowned thousands of times, and he hated it every time. The gestures to get people to understand he couldn't speak. He pointed to his mouth and shook his head in the negative. Maybe this once his not being able to talk would work out in his favor. There seemed no reason for them to be nice to him unless they wanted something. Information. Maybe they would let him go after finding out he could not speak. Instead, but a moment later, a voice sounded in his head. You can't speak? Snare failed to hide his flinch, and then his eyes squinted, sweeping around those seated at the fire to see if he could find which of them was responsible. The shorter one with braids smiled and then spoke aloud. Me? Can you hear? She said while pointing to her ear, eyes raised in a question. His frown stayed, but he gave a curt nod. That is good, the young woman said. We can speak, you and me, in here. Her finger moved up to point to her head. Just think what you want to say, and I will hear it. A bowl of hot oats was offered across the fire from the same dwarf that had been pointing a bow at him less than a bar ago. Snare accepted it after a moment. The young woman spoke again. My name is Mela, and these are my companions. She introduced them one by one. Snare ate, and then the question began. Was he familiar with the woods? No, no lie there. What was he doing there? He didn't answer at first, but then he simply said looking for something, something he didn't wind up finding. Next came the question that shook him to his core, all the blood draining from his face. In his search had he come across any ruins. They wouldn't look like much, a stone arch with battered doors that led under a hill. How? Why? Alarion Orteval in himself had spent the better part of two years chasing down information of all kinds, information not known to any other in the modern day to come to find this place. How, in the gods' cursed world, did they know of its existence? Snare's mind raced. He could say no. It was obviously what they wanted. Just say no, and that could be it. Even as he considered, he could see the intense anticipation with which they waited, that the answer to this question was of great value to them. He could probably get a lot of gold for providing the answer. The young woman's voice came again, only in his head. I can see on your face that you are worried. You have no reason to trust us, 
but if you can answer the question, you will be helping the entire province. We are after something that is... I pause. An abomination. Evil realized. I don't know you, but I sense much has been taken from you, that you have suffered loss. Please know that we have lost much as well. Even in his mind, he could hear the emotion building in her words. The nicest person I have ever known, a person that saved me, was taken from us, from me, by that which we seek. I beg of you, I will give you whatever you ask. Please. He was right. He could walk away from here rich. People such as these probably carried items and goods worth a small fortune. That is not where his mind dwelled. He could feel it now. The pain of their loss, their frantic need. And it blended with his. Ford beers still form in the dungeon below the Baron's manor. The arrows protruding from Alarion's motionless form. The pool of blood in which Ortoval most likely still lay. Tears formed in his eyes unbidden as a young woman's voice came to his mind. Not the young woman before him, but one that he had met in a village. One who had shown him kindness, had shown him strength and bravery, for no reason. The thought of it still confused him, made him ashamed. You have a lot inside of you, my friend, a lot that needs to be thought on. I understand why you are moving on from this town, but no matter how many towns or cities you travel to, no matter how far you go, you are never going to outrun what is in there. Hesed had put a finger to his forehead. Or there. The finger moved to his chest. Someday you will have to stop and face it. Someday Snare will have to stand up for something. Snare reached up, brushing away the tears there with the back of his hand. He stood. He looked again at the group around the fire. They were strong. He could see that, and he wanted to believe they were good. His eyes came at last to rest on the young woman's face. Mela. He sent the thought. I know where it is. The door you seek. stood in the clearing. Built into the embankment was a large stone arch. Worn and barely visible in the stone were carved ruins in some ancient language. Large wooden doors had once hung in the arch, barring the entrance into the hill, though they were much decayed now. The left door was battered with many holes where the wood had either been chopped into or had rotted with time, and stood slightly open. 
The right was more idea than door. It consisted of little more than two large metal hinges and the remnants of a few planks that hung feebly from them. Mela and their newfound guide Snare had shared much on their journey to the temple. Snare's story seemed as outlandish and full of surprises as theirs. Though she had never thought over long on the gods, there was something very cinderish about all of this. But as they stood in a half-circle, staring at the entrance, she only thought of one thing. Were they too late? Soul's afternoon light broke through a passing cloud, touching them there on the ground. As it did, Sarkeesian turned and knelt before Snare. There is no way to impart the importance of what you have done. And should we come out of here, we are ever in your debt. You may ask anything you wish of us. Breaking his normal silence, Colfin could be heard muttering, If we come out of this alive, I'll be commissioning a ballad of Snare, the hero, whether he wants it or not. A vicious smile broke Ketri's lips. Snare nodded in acknowledgement, and then turned to Mela. I will wait outside for you, she responded in his mind. If she's here, it won't be long, one way or the other. Mela called the sword into her hands. Ketri drew her axes. Rianok drew a mace from her belt. Colfin set an arrow to his bow. Sarkeesian, standing once again, faced the door and placed her hand on the hilt of the sword she had found in the ruins of Alhaiamara. She spoke, to help where it is needed. Their voices responded as one. Press sight in the dark places. Sarkeesian drew the sword. Salsom, a word whispered under her breath. The blade flared with soul's own light. We're Colborn, she said. Faces grim, determined, some with tears, they moved as one, forward through the stone arch. Passing through the first two chambers quickly, they found their way to the hall, the place where Snare had told of the hobgoblin ambush. Bodies strewn upon the floor still spoke of its brutality. Yet that was not their concern. They had but one focus. The emerald scarab, and more importantly, the magical anchor that tethered her corrupted soul to this plane. They made their way to the approximate middle of the room, forming a loose knot, eyes scanning taking in the many options they had, looking for a likely place to begin the search. Mela felt Sarkeesian's energy gathering, the tall woman turning toward them to begin laying out a plan. Her mouth opened. A scream of agony. Not hers, but one that worked its way out of the southwest corner of the room. It was distorted, muffled somehow. 
behind the door, or in the chamber beyond. It changed everything Mela had anticipated. Instead of a plan, Sarkeesian motioned for them to head in the direction of the noise. There were more hobgoblin bodies here. They lay near a crudely excavated passage. The stone wall was broken, dirt piled to the sides. It ran five or so paces to the west, ending abruptly, though it looked as if a natural crack, much smaller than the passage, seemed to continue that way. It would be difficult for any other than Rianok or herself to enter. But they didn't have to. Sarkeesian focused for a moment and then turned to them all. She is there, beyond the crack. Get ready and stand back. They took a few precious moments to cast spells of protection on one another, and then Sarkeesian produced a brass horn. Weapons in hand, they took up positions. One last look, and then a silent signal, and the horn sounded. The noise was beyond belief, like standing inside a clap of thunder. The hall filled with its din. Earth and rock were sent flying, blown apart in the passage ahead. Dust billowed, obscuring their vision for a few beats, but then, within the cloud, three points of green light. It was her. And so it began. Almost as soon as Mela had identified the three points of light, Ketri was moving, axes a blur. Colfin loosed arrows wrapped in magical energy. Mela's heart sank as the green beam, the one that had taken Colborn, came. But Ketri moved aside, a blood-curdling roar of defiance echoing throughout the hall. And then Mela herself made her way forward, energy arcing up her body, out her hands, singeing and burning the emerald scarab. Sarkeesian ran ahead, a first swing missing, but the second was as if the air had been opened with soul's light, a burning flame that left a seared arc as an afterimage in their eyes. One of the skeletal arms had been cleaved clean off, tattered remnants of robes still burning. A fortuitous start, but then a wispy form rose from the floor and into Ketri's body. The half-orc jerked unnaturally before her onslaught shifted from their enemy to Sarkeesian. Mela watched in horror as Ketri landed one smashing blow after another into their mentor and leader. And yet somehow Sarkeesian kept her composure, calling for Rianok's aid. More arrows came from Colfin. The emerald scarab's form was breaking rapidly, bits of bone flying away. It wasn't as if she hadn't fought back. The withered horror had laid crippling hands on Ketri more than once, but the barbarian, in a state of frenzied rage, barely flinched from the withering claws. The remaining desiccated arm began to shift and sign. A rift was opening. The emerald scarab meant to escape. 
The image of Colborn's fading body came to Mela, the simmering hurt and anger she had carried ever since. And with a precise turn of the hand and the swing of her arm, she sent a wave of energy out. It blended with the forming rift, and the moment it stabilized, a dark hole through which their enemy could flee, it shifted to a useless cold mist. The three green eyes flared, a scream of rage issuing from a lipless mouth. Shunting Ketri aside with her shield, Sarkeesian called out, This is not you, friend. Remember Colborn. Even as her blade sought out the weakened lich, missing once, yet striking again, the force of divine energy sending more bone flying away. The creature screamed the second time, and bolts of green energy reached out, striking Ketri, Mela, and Sarkeesian, searing their flesh with a withering ray. A cry of pain still dying on her lips, Mela saw Rianak pass her, raising her crude ring, the one with the rough depiction of a fox, and shadow swept forward. Ketri convulsed again, and a screech issued from her lungs as a spectral form was pulled from her throat. The ghostly image of a woman wriggled but a moment before being swallowed in shadow. The screech turned into a bellow of fury, and Ketri's axes turned once again toward their foe, blades flashing, bone scattered. Two more arrows from Colfin found their mark. The emerald scarab seemed frantic now. In a panic, she attempted once again to form the portal, to flee the fury of the five who had come for her. Mela snarled and waved her hand with disdain. The ethereal door was swept away yet again. A feral, animalistic wail of frustration burst from the emerald scarab's failing form. With that cry, from the dust around them, spectral creatures rose up, ghastly images of bodies long dead in torn green robes, unwilling spirits of the druids who had dwelled here long ago. They were all around, lashing out at the company. Icy cold hands and teeth ripped away flesh, made bones ache with wither and decay. Many grunts and cries could be heard all around. Mela's eyes blurred as she suffered excruciating wounds. But then it passed, and the images fell back into dust. Shaking off the pain, Mela dashed in, blades swinging. Their enemy hardly resembled a skeleton any longer, more a skull with disparate bones dangling from it, some cursed fetish or mobile. Sarkeesian's sword fell. More green energy burst forth from their enemy. More pain. Mela's joints ached, like she was already eighty years old. They were battered, bruised, and bleeding, but fought on. There were only two ways this ended, with their death or that of the Emerald Scarab. Mela heard Rianak, now behind them, and a wave of energy washed over her, over Ketri 
and Sarkeesian, warm, life-giving energy, and their wounds faded. There was only one way this would end. Ketri persisted, a whirlwind of violence. Another arrow from Colfin, and then the next hissed by them, and into the emerald, the one between the vacant eyes, and it shattered. The flames in those dark sockets flickered and then vanished. What bones remained clattered to the ground. The quiet that followed, the wave of emotion threatened to swallow Mela, who felt as though it would crush her. She couldn't believe it. They all still stood. They had worked together to near perfection. The emerald scarab's form was gone again, and yet the mist had already started back toward a strange dark object nearby. Sarkeesian was already moving. Atop a pedestal with a thin stone base sat a hideous thing. It was an urn made of dark metal that distorted light more than reflected it. Hammered into its surface in relief were many faces, screaming, trapped forever in anguish. In the radiant light of Sarkeesian's sword, it seemed as if the faces moved and twisted. Looking at it for more than a moment made Mela's skin crawl. She saw the tail of green mist vanish beneath the sealed lid. Gone but a few moments, and the abomination that was the emerald scarab had already begun the process of reforming. Sarkeesian's hand moved out ahead of her body, tentatively, eventually touching the urn. She flinched, a look of disgust on her face. Her second hand found the urn as she attempted to pick it up, but it didn't budge. Sarkeesian shifted, beginning to pull. Nothing. Sarkeesian strained further. It may as well have been a rock that jutted up from the floor. The paladin's eyes looked from her task for a moment to each of theirs. There was something there. They thought she had had long before they had entered this place. One she had never shared. Sarkeesian was going to try something. Something they wouldn't like. Stand back. Her voice was stern. Instinctively, they all took a step forward. Stop! It was rare that Sarkeesian actually issued orders. Suggestions and considered opinions were typically put forth. But this was an unfettered command and they did stop dead in their tracks. Again, her eyes found each of theirs. Stand back. No one moved for a time, but at last Rianok nodded and began to withdraw. Mela went next. Four beats later, Ketri spun with an angry snarl. Colfin remained eyes drawn into slits of appraisal, stubborn frown creasing his beard. I'm glad I followed you and your brother into the old town. 
Sarkeesian said to him. Her eyes swept over them before returning to his. My life has been the better for it. Silence followed. And then Colfin grunted. Sarkeesian nodded. Colfin retreated at last, but not as far as any of the others. Sarkeesian kneeled before the pillar with a wretched urn, setting her shield aside, grasping the hilt of her sword with both hands, placing the tip down to the ground, finally bowing her head so it rested upon the hilt. Go right and hear me. I have trusted in you all my days, through laughter and happiness, through war and death. And I know it was you who led me to these who have shared my company the past years, my chosen family. We have a chance to rid the world of a great evil, one who would take more than her fair share of life and light from this world. So I beg of you, Grant me the strength to end this, whatever the cost. As their leader spoke, Mela felt a hand take hers. She didn't have to look to know it was Rianok. The light that issued from Sarkeesian's sword began to swell, an even more vibrant white filling the broken passage and shattered room that housed the urn spilling out into the hall where they all stood, looking in. Bright at first, it became the most brilliant of summer days, and then brighter still. Sarkeesian rose, placing the tip of the blade now atop the urn. In the light, the screaming and tortured faces seemed to writhe and squirm. Just at the limits of hearing, the most high pitch of screams began to leak out of the lid. An angry kettle, hateful of its job. It looked as if the wretched anchor, inanimate though it was, was trying to escape, to shrink away from the light. Help her, Rianok whispered beside her. Malin knew the words were not for her, but a plea for yet another god. Sarkeesian went up onto her toes and then flexed down. All flashed white. Mela barely registered the blow. All sense of up and down left her. Just white. And in darkness, it was followed by a sorrowful cold. She tried to flex her hand, to see if Rianok's hand was there, but she could feel nothing. Gray swam, became objects again, an ancient stone roof. At last her eyes came back into focus, her mind returning from the shock and confusion. Mela struggled to sitting. Twenty feet or more she had been blown back. Rianok wasn't far, laying face down on the old stone floor, unmoving. She could see Ketri headed to Colfin, grabbing to lift him ungraciously to his feet. 
Mela scrambled on hands and knees to Rianok, rolling her over as quickly as she dared. No, 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 was all that ran through her mind. But before her hand even touched the pale face, a ragged cough and big, disoriented eyes of deep blue came open, focusing after a beat on Mela's face. Rianok flushed and then smiled after a moment. Mela wrapped her into a fierce hug. She didn't want to let go, but Rianok said beside her head, Tharkisian, and all panic returned. They stood hurriedly and skittered to catch up with Ketri and Colfin, who were already on their way. The pedestal which had held the emerald scarab's sole anchor was shattered, only a single sharp remnant poking up from the surrounding rubble. Not far from it, a twisted wreckage of dark metal lie. Had she not seen the original piece, it would not have been identifiable. The ruined remains of the urn, dull, dust-covered, and lifeless. They had done it, and yet it meant nothing to Mela. Colfin was squatted down over Sarkeesian's still form. The woman's hands were completely exposed. No sign of her gauntlets remained. Both hands were charred and blistered as if they had been thrust into a fire. Beyond the vicious wounds the paladin had received from Ketri during her brief possession, there were many new wounds. Jagged shards of the same dull gray metal. Remnants of the urn riddled her body a large shard in her upper thigh. Smaller pieces scattered through both arms, her abdomen, and chest. A deep cut had been opened across her face, starting alongside her jaw on the right side, running all the way up to the gray of her hair at her temple. It had narrowly missed the eye. There was no breath. Mela's eyes filled with tears, even as Colfin tried time and time again to pump healing magic into her. Beside her, Rianak moved. A rock on the floor came alight. In their worry, they had forgotten the halfling was the only among those who still stood who could not see in the dark. For Sarkeesian's sword no longer shed light. In fact, there was no sign of it at all. It must have been destroyed with the urn. Move aside, Rienok said. Quickly, please. There were no questions. Colfin and Ketri both moved. Rienok knelt beside their fallen companion's head, placing one hand against her cheek and the other, a diamond grasped within on her chest. The halfling closed her eyes and whispered, I don't think the world is done needing you yet, friend. It wasn't sudden. There was no pulse or shock, no spasm. Instead, the shadows around the room seemed to spill forward, reaching out to gently touch Sarkeesian's lifeless form. Tendrils wrapped around her wrists, caressed her face, and then faded away. As if waking from sleep, Sarkeesian's eyes opened, Mela, tears still flowing, clapped a hand to her chest in anguished relief. 
Ketri began to laugh, and Colfin looked down upon their friend and nodded. A weak smile came to her face, and then a look of questioning. Had they done it? Mela opened her mouth to say it was over, that they had and it was done, when an eerie moan came from behind. She spun to see the tail end of a spectral light vanish beneath a pile of rubble in the corner of the room. It couldn't be. The moan came again, and the rubble shifted. Mela's sword leapt into her hand. The scream had only lasted so long. Or forever. The pain had been intense before it was gone. He felt himself ripped from his body, felt his last breath passing his lips. And then a confusion like nothing he had ever experienced before. Like being trapped in that moment before sleep, where there was nothing, no sight, no sound only fleeting thought. And there he dwelled, in the beyond, but not quite. It felt unfinished, incomplete. If he was gone, there should be more, or less, nothing at all. But there was just this senseless purgatory of thought. He knew he had been Yonif once, but he also knew he no longer had a body, that he was a soul adrift. Maybe this was his punishment for all he had done wrong, his drinking, the war, his father. Maybe this was one of the hills where he would languish for all eternity. The thought pained him. Pain robbing pain, hunger, dehydration, and his leg. Oh, God's the pain. How in all the hells. He was again within his body and wished with all he was that he was not. Everything hurt. There was a dull light somewhere, soft, white, not green like before. He tried to move and let out a groan. Weight pressed down on him, rocks and dirt. He shifted again, moaning in agony. He didn't have the strength to free himself. What cruel joke was this? To return to his body only to die again? Maybe this really was... The weight lifted abruptly off him, one piece at a time, and then the light became complete, flared. His eyes squinted against the first light he had seen in, in he didn't know how long. Strange faces looked down at him, a frowning dwarf with a forked brown beard, a snarling half-orc with no hair and an eye patch. A little further back, there was a young woman with thick brown braids, and a halfling with a flash of red hair. They each looked at him as if they would tear him to bits. 
shred him back into oblivion. And then came a voice, a voice from long ago. Yanif? It was bewildered and confused. It was unusual compared to its normal calm, but unmistakable. Keezy. His voice cracked in his throat. The four faces turned toward the voice, eyes going from ferocious and deadly serious to amused and curious. Sarkeesian will do fine. Her voice came again, the briefest hint of indignance. Of course, Sarkeesian, what was he thinking? It had been all these years since he was still a soldier. He groaned again and tried to sit up. This time, the half-orc reached out a long, muscled arm to help him. The dwarf provided him a skin with some water to drink. After two careful sips, he looked over, seeing her at last. She looked like she had been through a lot, battered and cut, but the same beautiful, calm, dark eyes looked back at him. What in the hells had he gotten himself into? Was this what it was to be an adventurer? He tried to think of something to say, before finally spitting out, What in the nine hells happened here? All of those before him looked to each other, exchanging meaningful glances, as if it was the most poignant question of all. Sarkeesian's voice came at last. That, my friend, is a long story. Cinder, Roselia, and Gorion's blessing on all of you. May you always have those around you who will come to your aid in times of darkness. And may all the challenges in your lives find resolutions. And at last, yourself find your very own happy end. I thank you for the gift that you have given me. Listening to my tales. These tales from the dungeon. people uh you want to know a secret i hate when stories just end i always want to know what happens to the characters afterward just some little tidbit you know an epilogue uh <laughs> and because i hate it this isn't quite where the story ends uh do come back next week i will publish an epilogue and we will get to see what happened to some of these characters and what may come next for them so that's that surprise come back join me